to share with you one of the most precious gifts that you have from God is the gift of life. And so um, today I want to just talk about what the gift of life is all about and begin by talking to you about the, the first gift He ever gave you or any of us is natural life. Uh, the Bible actually says in Genesis 2 that God breathed life into Adam. He uh, aired up, He took some uh, mud and molded a man and he breathed the breath of life into Adam. And from that, by the way, all life, all of mankind um, is, is born with that same breath of life that God breathed from that very moment. Um, and so it's a very powerful, powerful thing. I want you to, to remember two things about this natural life. First, that it's powerful. Um, and, and then we're talking a minute about it being precious, but powerful. When you think about God breathing life into and inanimate into dirt, into dirt. I just I brought this uh, brought this cup of sand here. I'm just wondering, would any of you want to try and put a little water in here and mold it up and just breathe life, just breathe life into this dirt? It's never going to happen, is it? No matter how hard you try, you're not going to breathe. And uh, Andy fortunately had some uh, some clay up there, so we could mold this into the shape of a little man. You know, or any animal you want. And you come up here and do all you want to breathe life into this. It's never going to happen. You know why? Because God is the source of all life. And you and I cannot breathe life into anyone. Now, I've been told, um, I've taught this little lesson before, and I've had people come up and say, well, you know, when people die, you know, they can be rescued by breathing life into their lungs. You know, and their heart stops and you can get them started again. I went, yeah, that works good for... You know, what is it, like eight minutes you got maybe to do that? You know? But after a day or two, after a week or two, after three days in the grave, you know, Lazarus in the grave, three days. After a month, after a year, God could still do that. See, He can breathe life into anything, anytime He wants. And all of life comes from God. It's a precious, precious gift to us that comes from God. Everybody you know, no matter what their physical, emotional, or spiritual condition is, the life, the natural life they've been given uh, from God is a gift to them. And uh, I know just recently there was a lady who, who uh, wanted to take her life and it became, an, a national, became national news that she was dying of cancer and she just wanted to end it. And so they did an assisted suicide. And uh, there's some really great articles written um, to her from Christian women with cancer who were in their final stages saying, your life is precious. I know you're suffering. I know your days are hard. Your life is precious, though. And I really, really loved reading those stories because there were people going through great trials saying, I still recognize that God's the giver of this life and that life is very, very precious. And so I want you to remember that. Um, and I want you to look in Psalm 139. If you just turn there, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, there's a few, few Bibles if you need one, but Psalm 139, just a beautiful, beautiful writing. I'm using the New Living Translation. I printed it out on my handout this morning for myself um, because I want you to hear how the New Living puts this. It's very well written. Psalm 139, verse 13, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. Thank you for making me so wonderfully com complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watch me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. 
God, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The Bible says God wove us in our mother's womb. He knitted us together. Look at verse 17. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. If I, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand on a seashore. Now I have this sand up here, and I would just double-dog dare anybody to come up here and take a pinch of it and put it in your palm and then separate it all out in your palm. I used to do this in my some of my classes, my Bible classes. Separate it all out in your palm till all the individual grains are there and just try to count those grains. You know, there'll be thousands just from this little pinch you take. And you think about all the sands on all the seashores. All the sands on all the seashores. That's how often and how great God thinks of you. That's how much He thinks about you personally. It's how much you matter to Him. It actually says, your, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. God thinks you are a precious gift to Him. And He values your life. A lot of times He values life more than you value your life. And I want to just challenge you today to remember that. You know, we went through the, we we're going through this, uh, deal nationally with the Ferguson crisis and all that's going on with that. And it's very tragic to me how that's turned into a whole bunch of stuff that's not even the issue at all. It's very tragic. Um, but they kept holding up these signs that say, Black Lives Matter. I was like, well, of course they do. In my head, I'm going, all lives matter. Doesn't, the color is not the issue. White lives and yellow lives and green li- all lives matter. Life purely, any, any form of life matters to God. And we should remember that. In truth, um, God, listen, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, before Genesis 3, which is the fall of man, that's our sin chapter, right? Before that happens, when He created them, there was no death. Man was immortal until sin came into our lives. We were immortal. That's how much life matters. And ultimately, when God restores everything back like it's supposed to be after all the judgments and all the stuff we know about in the Scriptures, after all that happens, when He restores it, you know what? We're eternal and immortal again. Because life matters to God. And life is a beautiful thing to God. And it should never have to end. It should never have to end. It should be a beautiful thing. And we should treat it with that respect. And that's why I encourage you. I know a bunch of you support the Women's Resource Center and Laura works there and and our church supports them. But when we have the walkathons and all that kind of good stuff, we really need to rally around that because they are fighting for the lives of those little children in the wombs that can't fight for themselves to say all life really matters. Every life is very, very precious. And um, everything you can do as a, a Christian and as a citizen of our country to stand against anything that has to do with taking a life, uh, taking a life away of the... the you know, elderly assisted suicides and all that kind of stuff. I don't want any part of that because God sees it as precious. I understand the suffering. I do understand the tragedies and the traumas of all that. I've sat beside people and, you know, I held my brother Lynn's hand all the way through his deal. And so I get all that. I'm just saying every breath of life is precious to to God and it should be to us. And one of the gifts that he's given you is your life. It's, it's a precious gift. Now, I'm going to amplify that. When Bill Hobbles teaches this, he... He says there's three kinds of life, 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. He's kind of put it in computer lingo for for the nerds that he's teaching. This is life 1.0, natural life. Everybody gets it, and you you got that. But then there's a second level of life that God promises that only comes to those who believe in Him, and that's called abundant life. And I want you to turn to John chapter 10 and look at it with me. When mankind sinned against God, 
It says the wages of sin is death. And sin took our life away from us. It ended life. Um, and all sin does that. Sin has a very devastating effect in that it takes uh, natural life away and it actually takes emotional and physical and spiritual life. If you study how sin affects people, it damages their emotions, it damages their their uh, their uh, uh, psychological, damages them psychologically, and it, it wounds us in many, many ways. It actually takes life away from us. It's, it's very um, death oriented, not life-oriented. That's how sin works. And that's why God says in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. Um, so when mankind sinned against God, life was stolen from us. Death came unto all men. Romans 5 says, death came unto all men, whereby one man sinned, Adam. Death is transferred to all of us. So we all have a sin nature, um, which causes us to, to uh, rebel against God. But then Jesus comes on the scene literally to change all that. Literally to change all that. There's a passage where Jesus says, I came to make all things new. And ultimately, He will. But in the process, He had to come and redeem us from our sins. He had to redeem us from our sins. And in John chapter 10, um, verse 10, He says, I have come that they might have life. The thief comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. The they in that passage are the sheep that he's talking about. This is a passage about him being a good shepherd, and there are sheep that follow him. He's saying, the sheep who follow me, the wolves want to steal, kill, and destroy them. And the wolves he's talking about, by the way, are false teachers. Um, he's saying there are people who want to teach you away from Christ. They want to teach you truths that, that pull you away from God. Um, in, his, in his day, it was the Pharisees, believe it or not. It was the Jewish teachers uh, that were teaching a false teaching. And Jesus is saying they're like wolves. They're constantly coming in and pulling sheep away from my fold. But I am the good shepherd. Everybody that follows me, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life. I want my sheep, my people, to have life. And, and the old King James says, and to have it more abundantly. And then when you read the, the uh, New Living Standard, it says this. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, I'm just asking. Just think through this. How many of you would like to have a rich and satisfying life? You'd like to say at the end of the day, you know, when you're 85 years old and you're retired and you're, you know, you're just resting all the time and you're enjoying all your family stuff, you'd like to say, my life was rich and satisfying. That's us, isn't it? I'm rich and satisfied. Man, that's, that's exactly the goal of a, of a wise person. And here's what Jesus says. I came to do that for you. Our sin messed it up. So I'm coming into this world to give you life 2.0, a rich and satisfying life, abundant life. You don't have to live a, de a depressed and defeated life. You don't have to live a discouraged life. You don't have to live a, a, a panic-filled, anxious, fear-based life. Jesus says, I came to give you a full and satisfying, abundant life. That's what he wants us to have. And... uh some of you, I thought about asking some of you to come up here and teach the rest of this section here. Um, because a, a abundant life is based in three things, okay? You have to have three things to have an abundant life. Joy, hope, and peace. Those are character traits, by the way. They're not emotions. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is an inner character deal, okay? Joy comes from the inside. Joy, hope, and peace are the three things you have to have in order to have abundant life. Now, I want to just take you through these passages. Will you look in John 15 with me? John 15 and verse 9. This is the passage where Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches. 
And you're supposed to be in me. In other words, I am the, the, the vine that's nurturing you, the branch. And if you live with my nurturing and you follow my instructions, this is what's going to happen. John 15, verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Stay on the branch. Stay connected to the flow that comes from me. When you obey my commandments and you remain in my love, that's how you stay. Just as I obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in His, I have told you these things that uh, so that uh, your joy will be full, uh, so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus says, I promise if you will stay with me, if you will follow me, if you will let me be your guide and your instruction and your helper, I can give you full joy. Not your joy, my joy. My joy. Hebrews 12 says, um, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy helps us endure the worst of the worst. It's an inner character strength. You guys know this verse. I'll say it to you all the time. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is my... Say it like you mean it. The joy of the Lord is my... Strength. Joy is an inner character strength. It comes from obeying God. When you become obedient to God's Word, when you read God's Word and you say, all right, God's Word says I need to do this and not do this. I need to stop doing this and I need to start doing this. God's Word says I need to pray these kind of prayers and I need to love people this way and I need to be patient. God's Word says all this. When I obey God's Word, I will become filled with His joy and I'll have the strength to endure anything. For Jesus, even the cross that He had to bear, which was all the sin of all mankind, had to be poured on Jesus. And He was going to be rejected by His Father. Even that traumatic of a deal, the, the, the ability to have joy, the inner strength of joy, gives you the ability to overcome all of that. So I just want you to, to encourage you to, to remember that, that the full, satisfying, abundant life starts with joy. The second thing you have to have is uh, hope. Um, is hope. And Romans 5, if you'll turn there with me. Just and, and by the way, you're coming right back to John, so you might want to stick some, a pencil or a piece of paper in there. We're coming right back to John. Romans chapter 5 says this. By the way, in the first part of Romans 5, he's talking about this grace that we stand and we, we stand surrounded as Christians, um, as those who've been called by God or, or those who've accepted Christ our Savior. We stand surrounded... He literally is talking about a sea, uh, uh, an ocean of grace. We're surrounded by an ocean of God's favor and grace. And in verse 3 he says, um, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that help uh, that they help us develop endurance. Trials we can celebrate because they help us develop endurance. Well, what does endurance do for us? Endurance develops the strength of character, and character strength our, strengthens our confidence of hope and salvation. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look, when you have a difficult time, God's going to give you the strength to get through that, and it's going to build your endurance, which is going to build your hope in Him. You will learn to, through trials, okay, through perseverance, you will learn to hope in Him. When you get that hope, how good is hope? Verse 5. This hope will never, never disappoint us. For we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. God gives us a hope 
that never disappoints. Now, everybody else you know can, can make promises to you that will fail. Everybody else you know. Um, they'll make promises that fail, and you can hope in them, and then you'll be defeated. And you can hope in stuff you plan and figure out and do for your life. You can you know, hope that your retirement monies are going to be invested and they're going to develop like this. Or, you know, you can hope that your your children and your grandchildren are going to turn out like this or become one of these. Those are all your hopes, and some of them work, and some of them don't, right? But here's the deal. When you hope in God, He never disappoints. When you hope in who He truly is, when you grow through trials and endurance, James says that that matures us. When we mature... Through trials and endurance, here's what we learn. I can hope in God and He'll never, ever, ever fail me. He'll never disappoint me and never fail me. That's what abundant life is. Abundant, satisfying life says I have this inner character strength of joy that, that will help me in anything. And abundant life says I can hope in God and I will never be disappointed in Him. He will always be satisfying. And then He, he promises us peace. John 14 Go back there with me. John 14. The whole chapter is a big, one big promise. Um, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And it's a passage where God's, Jesus is saying to the disciples, I gotta go away and you guys are panicked. I can see it in your face. When I say I've gotta leave, you're all worried about that. Let not your heart be troubled. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he makes these promises in John 14. He promises the, um, a place in heaven for him. My father's going to go build a place for you. Um, he promises them the person of the Holy Spirit in the second part of the chapter. When you get to the third part of the chapter, he promised them peace. And look at verse 26. The New Living Translation says it this way. John 14, 26. When the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. Don't be So don't be troubled or afraid. He's saying, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you and He's going to give you a peace that can't come from the world. It's a peace that comes from who? God. God Himself is going to put inside you the Holy Spirit who's going to put inside your mind and your heart a peace that passes all understanding. Philippians, Paul talks about there's a peace that passes all understanding. And I've seen it hundreds of times. I've seen it in emergency rooms uh, when tragic news comes to families of, of, loved one, of their loved ones. I've seen it in, in funerals. Uh, I've, been, I've stood by uh, coffins of children with their parents who had a peace that passes all understanding because they had this relationship with Christ that through their trial they were building up endurance and they had joy, hope, and peace in spite of all the circumstances that were beating them down and hurting them so deeply. They stood by the coffin of their child, 13-year-old little girl that committed suicide. I stood by her coffin with her mom and we just wept the whole night as, as all those little children from that classroom came up and we had to we had to just love on them. They didn't understand. We didn't understand. It was hard. But I watched this family go through that trial with joy, hope, and peace as their comfort. And it didn't come from me. It didn't come from some brilliant funeral director that told them how to handle all that. It had to come only from God. God is the one who gives natural life, and God is the one who gives abundant life. 
But in order to have abundant life, you have to have a relationship with Him. You can't have abundant life just as an average person. As a matter of fact, the average person doesn't have abundant life. It's why you see them so challenged in, in the world. People that don't know Christ, their Lord and Savior, they go through very hard times uh, when they're going through trials. They don't have any of this joy, hope, or peace. Now, they try to find it in things, and sometimes they, they get lost in their business or lost in some activity they're doing, and they try to figure out some way to live their life with some sort of satisfying end to it. I sit, went to the Winn-Dixie the other night to get some dog food, and I pulled up, and there's a truck in front of me uh, that I parked behind had a sign that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And I went, nope. <laughs> Just look at that bumper sticker going, you know, here's a guy that, that really may believe what his bumper sticker says. I just need more toys in order to win when I die. That's never going to win anything. You know, the, the more toys you have, the more bills you're going to have, the more responsibility and more things break down, the more stuff you got to fix. He who dies with Jesus Christ as his uh, means of salvation wins every single time. Every single time the person that dies with Christ in his heart is a winner. And uh, the whole issue of abundant life comes to us simply because God promises to give his followers, his devoted followers, abundant life. Abundant life doesn't go to everybody. Uh, let me give you just a bonus round here. It's not going to show up on your slides, um, but this is sort of like a sidebar. Um, I wrote it into my notes. Uh, and I just want you to know this. That one of the other things that God offers us in this abundant life package um, is something that a lot of people don't have, and it's purpose. God gives His followers purpose. Matter of fact, the Bible says He created you for His purposes. He created you, fashioned you in His mother's room, natural life, for His purposes. And when you find His purposes in life, you actually will find that which satisfies you the most. Um, a living testimony to that. At 17 years old, when God called me out of one of these pews right here, when they were orange, <laughs> and uh, bright orange, and I came down on the orange carpet, and I knelt down on the orange pad um, in the 70s, and uh, God called me to serve Him full-time. It terrified me. I mean, it absolutely terrified me. I've never regretted one second of that. Have I been through horribly complicated times and trials? Yes. You know, my first year of full-time ministry, I was making $9,000 a year. woo that'll pay the bills. <laughs> $9,000 a year, full-time, you know, youth minister. And uh, then trying to cut grass, or actually we were painting on the side, doing all kinds of other stuff, try to make life work and, uh, you know, raise a little family and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just telling you, it, was, it wasn't easy, but I've never been dissatisfied with where God called me to because He gave me a purpose. When He called me into His family, He gave me a purpose in life. And by God's grace, it's not because I'm the smartest person in this room, not even close, um, but by God's grace, when I found that purpose and just stuck to it, and I had good people, the pastor of the church, David Jones, and others surrounding me and helping me kind of get on that path. And, and I got to a Bible college that had good people that guided me and helped me and pushed me along. And I've stayed right where God wants me and been led where God wants me through all kinds of crazy trials. Some of you have been through those trials with me. And I've just stayed there, and God gives us satisfying, satisfying abundant lives. He has a purpose for you. I'd like you to look in Ephesians 2, just on this sidebar note for a minute. Ephesians chapter 2, before we look at that last point in your New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is that passage um, I love so much, so I'm going to go back and read a little bit of the beginning of it there. Ephesians 2. 
Says you were, verse 1 says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Before we knew Christ, um, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead people can't help themselves. No dead person has ever solved his own problems. Okay? So God had to reveal himself to us through this beauty of, Paul calls it the, the, the mystery that God revealed to you. And uh, when he did that, he was, verse 4, rich in mercy and great in love by which he loved us. And uh, even while we were dead, he made us alive. And then look at verse uh, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. So we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. You can't be saved by anything else. You can't work yourself into heaven. You can't be a good enough person. You know, and, and Billy Graham and, uh, you know, Mother Teresa and, you know, all these great people, they're not going to heaven because they're good people. Matter of fact, the Bible says there's no good people in heaven. None. All the people in heaven are sinners that were saved by grace. And so we're saved by grace, pure act of His unselfish, free gift to us. Saved by grace through faith. Verse 10, why? Well, verse 9 says, so that we wouldn't boast. It's not about our works, but about His work. But verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created by God for good works. And the Bible says we are His workmanship. The Greek word for that is masterpiece. It literally is masterpiece. We are the masterpiece. You're a masterpiece that God created for His good works. And for you to do His purpose in life. And when you do that, you will be so satisfied. Some of you have done that. Some of you have figured out in our in our church here, you figured out your spiritual gift and your calling and your leading, and and you've kind of fallen into what God wants you to do, and you just keep moving along in that and growing by faith, and it's very satisfying when you do that. And I want to challenge the rest of you. If you don't know where God wants you to serve or how He wants you to serve in the local church, part of His calling is to call you to be a part of a body that's growing and a body that's that's alive um, with His work, and so. One of the, that's what the sidebar bonus free no charge deal that you could add like a number four to that. Joy, hope, and peace and purpose. God gives every Christian a purpose in life and it means you're just satisfied. When you finally get that, you're satisfied and uh, it, it makes it a beautiful, beautiful deal for you. Now the third gift of life, there's natural life, abundant life, and then the most beautiful one that he offers us at all is, is eternal life. And it's pretty pretty simple to, to get eternal life from the Scriptures. Romans 6, if you'll go there with me on the slide. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So 1.0, natural life. 2.0, abundant life on earth. But ultimately, you're not going to live on earth forever. We're temporary. We're mortal beings now because of sin. So you have to live in eternity somewhere. And everybody in this room is going to live somewhere in eternity, heaven or hell. So two choices. There's not, any, there's not a third door. <laughs> there's not an option there. There's heaven or hell. And the Bible says He gave us a gift of His Son. There's a free gift through Jesus Christ where He gives us eternal life. But we have to trust in His Son to be our Savior. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. And then... We get this free gift of eternal life. And by the way, when that happens, if you and everybody here that I know personally, you've trusted Christ your Lord and Savior. And, and as you trusted Him, you immediately became an immortal 
eternal being that's going to live with Christ. The Bible says in our resurrected and glorified bodies, um, hopefully I'll have hair in the resurrection. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe everybody, maybe y'all be bald. I don't know. So, but, but one way or the other, when we get there, there's going to be this awesome stuff. I know that the steel plate in my ankle won't be there anymore, you know, and that the achy, sore elbows and all that stuff go away. And that God blesses us with a glorified, resurrected body that is pain free. Won't that be awesome? Won't that be awesome? So, but eternal life is the other promise. And, and uh, you can see it real crystal clear in John 3, verse 16. Y'all know this verse very well. Probably don't even need to turn there. But John 3, 16 says it this way. God so loved the world. Let me read the New Living Translation. God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. This is that time of year when we really can tell people, this is what I believe Christmas is all about. God came to save us, not to judge us. He's trying to help. He's trying to help. Now, in the process of saving us, we have to recognize we need to be saved. You understand? You have to recognize you need to be saved. If you don't recognize you don't need to be saved, you're not going to get saved. But in order to recognize you need to be saved, you recognize you have, you have to recognize that you're a sinner. And sinners need salvation. You can't, you, you, you haven't done all things like God intended. You haven't lived a life like God wanted you to live. And you have, none of us here, uh, have lived without sin. Everybody here is a sinner. And we have to be saved simply through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why he came. And by the way, Jesus Christ left heaven to do that. You want to talk about a massive amount of love? Next week, the, this week we're talking about the gift of life. Next week I'm going to talk about the gift of love. I'm going to get, explain to you the quality and the quantity of Jesus' love. It's, un, it's really beyond words. I don't even know how I'm going to do it yet. Um, but it's beyond words to explain the quality and the quantity of his love because he was in heaven. He was surrounded by, the Bible says, myriads, millions and millions of angels who were just saying to him every day, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy of praise. We honor and praise and glorify you. We lift up and magnify your name. He left that to walk on a dusty road on earth to be raised by Mary and, and Joseph and that family and ultimately to become a teacher that's rejected because he's just a carpenter from Nazareth. He left all of heaven to come and be rejected by his own people, turned on by the Pharisees, lied to, uh, lied about to the Romans and crucified. Nailed to a cross, beaten and nailed to a cross by the Jews and the Romans, all because he loved us. He came because he loved us. That is just a beautiful, beautiful picture of how much he loves you and how much he wants you to have eternal life. See, eternal life, mean, life means a ton to God. It matters to God that you have not just, not just natural life, he wants you to have on earth abundant life. You don't have to be a mully grub Christian just moping around doing, you know, just getting along. I don't know. Not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be a, a, a joy-filled, spirit-filled, joy-filled Christian that can celebrate. That's why it says in Romans 5, rejoice in your trials. Yay. I'm going through hard times. Yay. <laughs> Sounds weird. They'll put you in a funny farm if you tell too many doctors that. So, 
But seriously, we can rejoice and have abundant life even in our hard times. God gives us abundant life, but that's not where it ends. He says, I want there to be more for you. I want you to have eternal life. Now, all of this comes because God has the power, the, ma- the magnificent power to bring life to anything. See, when we were, when Adam was just mud and clay and God molded him, it was inanimate. It was not alive. It was just mud. And he breathed life into that. Ephesians 2 says, while we were dead in our trespass and sin, it says spiritually, even though I'm physically alive on earth, before I knew Jesus, spiritually I was dead like that clay. And Jesus has the ability to breathe life into death. So if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, if you're a Christian, if you know um, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins and you've accepted that as truth, He's made you alive. You once were dead, and now you're alive. And I'm telling you, that's something to sing and rejoice about, isn't it? Something to sing glory to God in the highest. That's why we sang those songs today. Glory to God in the highest. We want to worship your glory, Lord Jesus. We want to fall to our knees. Um, We do want to worship the God who gives us that much life. Amen? Amen. He is a very powerful and amazing God.